Well, good morning, church. I'm Jonathan Coleman, one of the pastors here at Anderson Hills United Methodist Church. Uh, we're so glad you're tuning in to our live stream. As Mark uh, said, uh, this is our third Sunday of live streaming because our campus is closed due to the COVID-19 virus. Uh, but we want you to remain safe. And we know that there are only just a few people here. We're keeping safe distance from each other. Um, we, we all need to do our part to snuff out this virus. And we hope and pray that this service is a blessing to you. And I want to thank everyone who worked hard to make it possible to live stream here today. And I know firsthand the leadership of Anderson Hills is also working hard to stay creatively connected to you and your families. I want to encourage you to keep up following your spiritual practices that draw you closer to God in these times and pray and read scripture and serve and give and worship and share the gospel and find new ways of staying in Christian community together. Uh, we love you, each and every one of you, and we uh, send our love through this stream today. So as a congregation, we have been making our way through a series called The Story. It's a chronological journey through the Bible. Last week, uh, Pastor Mark Putman shared with us about Jesus and the kingdom of God, and that he was no ordinary man. This week, if you read your Bible reading plan, you began to see about Jesus and his proclamation about being the Son of God. And that Bible reading plan is always available. It's there online for you on our website and our Facebook page. Um, there are five readings each week, and, and it builds up to the message today. Uh, also, our pastors are doing a new thing. We started this past week um, doing devotionals, either written or videoed, uh, with every day, daily Bible reading plan. So tune in to Facebook for those. Well, first I have to say... <laughs> It's a, it's a little weird preaching to uh, empty pews <laughs> this morning. Uh, one thing for sure, uh, I know, I won't see people fall asleep uh, during the sermon, so that's kind of cool. Anyway, so think about this. As you walk through life and you're introduced to people on the human journey, and then that person becomes a really wonderful, amazing friend. And in that time, you discover many things about them and how you appreciate the essence of who they are. And after spending time with them, you find out things like what their favorite ice cream is. For example, Grater's Blackberry or Black Raspberry Chocolate Chip, their favorite music. You begin to find out what makes them laugh or what annoys them. But you also get to really hone in on their values, their beliefs, their passions. And you begin to discover, if they're a really good friend, they'll listen to your pain and your struggles and most likely share their pain and struggles with you. A good friend will listen. A good friend will challenge you, build you up, especially in times like this. My mom and dad lived in a uh, cabin out in Madison, Indiana, and they had this... Uh, neighbor who was just a he was just a, a jokester and he always used to say his name was Leo Leo always used to say get to know me and 
deep down inside, I think we want people to get to know us, to be interested in us. And we long for that relationship. And God understands this need. And God created us for this relationship, this friendship with each other and above all with himself. And the good Lord wants us to get to know him. To discover the length, the breadth, the depth, the heights of his love and who he is. And Jesus came to be one of us, to help us understand who God is and what God values and what God is passionate about and God as our friend. Jesus' disciples experienced this firsthand. They were drawn to him. They followed him. They saw with their own eyes his actions. They heard his words. He called them friend. And they deeply wanted to know and understand who he was. And during this journey, they arrived to a place called Caesarea Philippi. That area of Caesarea Philippi was, was the home of many Greek gods. For example, Pan. And then also it was a city where Baal was worshipped and Syrian gods were worshipped there. And then you can see in your mind's eyes, they're walking around this area. Jesus really, really wanted to ask them a question about who they believed him to be. And so in Matthew 16, 13 through 20, we see this take place. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. At this intersection of ancient religions, Jesus asks a very inquiring minds want to know question. Who do people say I am? And there's a flurry of answers from his followers. But it's only answers that they heard on the street Say Some say you're John the Baptist, alive from the dead, Jesus. Some say you're Elijah, returned, Jesus. Still others say you're one of the great prophets, maybe even Jeremiah. But finally, after hearing a series of answers and opinions from others, Jesus asks his closest friends, because they know him, who do you say that I am? Who do you say I am? And his words hang out there. In that silence, right there in Caesarea Philippi, Peter answers. If you know anything about Peter, you know that he was bold and outspoken. 
Peter was a disciple who was always going first. When you read the Gospels, one thing you notice is that Peter is filled with faith and Peter is filled with passion and boldness. He was the disciples, if you read just two chapters earlier, he was on a boat and Jesus was walking on the water. It was Peter who said, if it's Lord, if it's you, tell me to come out on the water. Jesus said, come. And Peter walked on water. You see, Peter saw a lot of mind-blowing actions by Jesus Christ. The feeding of 5,000. He saw Jesus heal. He heard words that he had never heard before from teachers or rabbis. And the question Jesus asked was probably always on the forefront of his brain when he saw who, what Jesus was doing and heard his mission statements. And finally, Peter responds. And it says that it was revealed to him by God. He answers, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. I want Peter's words just to hang out there for a moment. You're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. You see, there's so many opinions about Jesus. Every thoughtful person has to answer that question that Jesus asks. Just as in Jesus' day, there were very, very popular answers. And so there are very popular answers in our time. And maybe you have an opinion right now. So let's consider some of the answers to the question about Jesus and what he asks here about who is this guy. The first opinion is he's a good moral man. This opinion is probably formed in people's minds by statements by Jesus, such as the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, or love your neighbor as you love yourself, or turn the other cheek. People form this opinion from the fact that he's a friend of sinners. He's a friend to the poor. He's an advocate for the downtrodden. Yet within these powerful words and incredible statements, he keeps referring to himself as the Son of Man. In the Gospel, there are over 80 references the Son of Man. And Jesus chooses that descriptor about himself. You know, it comes from the Old Testament in Daniel chapter 7, verse, 7, uh, verse, verse 13. It refers to the Son of Man, and it's really a divine reference for a divine being. And Jesus used that term. For example, he said to one of his followers, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay. His head. This good moral man, this decent fellow, kept referring to himself as the I am. Jesus used that term so many times in very deep ways to produce these metaphors to where people could see what that I am means and understand what the benefits are in the great I am. In the Old Testament, I am is a reference that God used about himself. How God would respond to people who wanted to know God's name. If you look in Exodus, Moses asked God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent you to me. And they asked me, what is his name? And what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. 
I am has sent you. Jesus kept using this title. And these I am statements are so powerful. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though they die. Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. I am the way, truth, and life. No one comes to the Father through me. These I am statements point to these themes and these incredible ways in in what Jesus Christ can do for a person. There's spiritual sustenance. There's access to the kingdom of God. There's access to eternal life through him. There's access to sacrificial love. There's experience wisdom and truth for the human journey. And I can go on and on and on. And these statements, they go light years ahead of a moral man. See, Jesus proclaimed that people's sins were forgiven. Oh, buddy, that upset the religious leaders in that day. They would be enraged. Only God can forgive sin. But Jesus kept on forgiving people. He would would say to them, go, go, your, your sins are forgiven. This moral man stated he was greater than Abraham. He called his called God Father. He taught a prayer, the Lord's Prayer that we prayed just several minutes ago, where we can access the Father and experience the dynamics in that relationship with God, just as Christ shows us his relationship with the Father. I'll tell you what, at one time in my life, I didn't believe Jesus was the Son of God. I came to the premature conclusion that he was just a good moral man. However, one evening I was on a spiritual retreat and I heard a, a story read. It was the parable of the prodigal son from Luke chapter 15. Jesus' words in this parable helped me to see so many things about him. It showed me how far I was away from God and that I needed to come home to God. The story made me see the incredible love of God. The story helped me see how a person who is lost can be found. A person who is dead in sin can be made new and alive again. I heard that God was waiting for the prodigal to come home and the father runs to the son when he sees his figure in the horizon. And he proclaims forgiveness to that son. And I remember that night, carrying many, many burdens of sin, weighing me down. And I completely, with all of my being, experienced forgiveness. You know, I have to confess, I I did come to believe Jesus was the Son of God for a selfish reason like that. But I wanted to be forgiven and nothing else. And I soon found out The Son of God is very patient. I soon found out he's just not a moral man. He's the one that can obliterate the sin. And my chains did fall off that evening, and I found his love there. The second opinion about Jesus is, we hear it, is that he was a demented fool or fraud. 
I see it sometimes where people, when you start talking to them about Jesus, they'll roll their eyes and go, oh, there's that preacher talking about Jesus again. And it just seems like that maybe somebody tricked me into thinking that. And maybe their opinion in their mind, uh, they thought maybe that, that this Jesus tricked people and was this kind of fraud or demented fool that was out of his mind trying to get people to follow him. Or maybe he was a, a mega maniac or an egomaniac or a pied piper who led blind followers into destruction. And the religious people in that day thought the same. They even called him the devil himself. But people who follow Jesus experience something very, very, very different. They were won over by his words. They admired him. He didn't turn people into lunatics. He made them better. Think about it. Common fishermen. You know, callous, stinky, fish-smelling hands at one time, now writing after they had been with him for years, writing the most revered books ever written in human history. And he didn't turn people away. At one time, even when the children were running to him and the disciples were like, oh, wait, 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 he doesn't have time for you. He's like, no, let the children come to me. Don't prohibit them. The kingdom of God belongs to such as these. He performed miracles to give people their lives back. And he didn't do it to draw a crowd or make uh, fame for himself. In fact, after the miracles, he would sometimes whisper, don't tell anyone about this. He never made a profit or took a penny for his miraculous works. I've discovered, (laughs) being um, a Christian over... um, trying to think how long 28 years he's no fool he's no fraud not even a good moral teacher Jesus, uh, C.S. Lewis uh, at one time was not a Christian but when he examined all the facts he came to that same conclusion and he wrote this I'm trying to say here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, that is Christ, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said that sort of things, Jesus said, would not be a great moral teacher. He would be either a lunatic on the level with a man who said he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us he did not intend to you see those who followed him they proclaimed the good news and they didn't see him in any of those ways they did mighty works in his name they were sent to proclaim this good news that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believe in him 
shall not perish but have everlasting life. They saw him as a way to eternal life, a way to the kingdom, a way to experience so many dynamics of sustenance. They proclaimed and saw him resurrected and alive. I was at Asbury Theological Seminary. I was, one day I was sitting in a New Testament theology class and it was taught by Dr. Joseph Wong. And he was giving a lecture on this subject about Jesus Christ's followers. And in the lecture, he talked about the fact that never in the history of the world did someone give their life for a past positive event, meaning the ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He said men and women would lay down their lives for a future hope or to try to be free or to rid the world of tyranny or to conquer or strive in order to gain. He said Jesus' followers laid down their lives to share good news about an amazing supernatural event that occurred years ago. Ultimately, that ministry uh, and death on the cross and resurrection. Why? Because they believed that he was the Son of God with all of the essence of who they were, and they proclaimed that good news. This week in our Bible reading plan, uh, we, we read about the transfiguration and, and Jesus took Peter, James, and John up on a mountain to show his true identity. And transfiguration is an interesting word. It's a Greek word, and it actually means metamorphosis. It means change. Not as an end in itself, but as a means to propel one forward into a new and better life. The transfiguration was for the benefit of not just himself, but for the benefit of Peter James, and John on how they viewed him. Let's read it. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. He was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became white as light. And just there appeared before them Moses, Elijah, talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will pull up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. But while he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, They fell face down to the ground, terrified. But when Jesus came and touched them, get up, he said, don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one else except Jesus. In this transfiguration, I think it metamorphosized their their reality. They wanted to stay in that reality and sunbathe in God's glory. They didn't want to leave. And that transfiguration gave those three witnesses uh, the, the view, the eyewitness view of the love relationship between the father and the son. And the father was so well pleased of his son doing the father's will. And he said over them, listen to this guy, listen to my son. Because the Son of God wanted to show them 
and, and transform their reality to where they could learn God's rhythm and teaching and healing and caring for the broken and the hurting world that they lived in and transfer them into the reality that they could live in the valley as well. In fact, the first thing that Jesus does, he says, well, we can't build these. we got to go back down the mountain. And he points his finger down the mountain. And we see it that he goes and he starts to minister. And in fact, in fact he heals a boy. John was there. And I think what John is talking about in this reality, he states in 1 John 1.1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked at, our own hands have touched as we've proclaimed concerning this word of light, life. And he knew it. He understood it. And that transfiguration transfigured his life. You know, I, I, I dig, I serve on some boards that operate by parliamentary procedure. And I kind of dig the details of parliamentary procedure. And there's this one rule in there, of, in Robert's rules. It's, it's a term called, call the question. You see, a person can raise their hand and they can get the floor. And the chairman must recognize. And they, they can just simply stand up and say, call the question. And then the chairperson say, can I get a second? Yes. And then they can debate whether or not they want to stop debate. And so it takes two-thirds voting members to cut off the debate. And then the chair immediately begins to move to the vote of what they're discussing. There's no further discussion allowed today. Here, I want to call the question. You. <laughs> Who do you say? The Son of Man is. It's going to let it hang out there. You see what happens when we proclaim this. The Son of the living God. We begin to experience new realities. Just like the disciples did. The ministry of His personal ministry unto us in that proclamation. And John talks about it in his first chapter of his gospel. He, he talks about this, and this is what, hear, hear what can happen to us. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. And he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave them right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. When we say yes to that, we are born of God. The other night, um, I was uh, in bed, and I watched too much news. I was, uh, I was overwhelmed. I was scared. I was scared for my friends, congregation, scared for my family, scared for myself. I almost had a panic attack. And I prayed to this I am. I prayed to the Son of God, Jesus Christ. 
the one mediator between God and man. And I prayed for that peace to be promised. The peace that he says, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. I don't give as the world gives. It's a divine peace, and I prayed for that. In some moments, that peace came upon me, and I slept like a baby. My friends, who do you say Jesus Christ is? My prayer is that you would believe in the one Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, today. Will you join me in prayer? Dear Lord, you, you're an awesome God. You're Lord of Lords. You're King of Kings. We see you, Lord, it's just this divine friend, the I Am that sustains us through the difficulties that even we are experiencing now. And so may we put our lives in your hands and trust in you and believe you are who you said you are. Lord, may we give our lives to you and confess you as our personal Lord and Savior. We thank you for your ministry, Lord, and we thank you for revealing yourself to us. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.